This week's Japan by River Cruise is supported by a new app, Blinkerme. Progressing through the stages of Japanese learning can feel enriching and rewarding, but you may have been surprised about how quickly you've moved from, oh my goodness, I can read the word coffee on a menu, to, Jesus fucking Christ, Yahoo News Japan comments are fucking fucked. If you're starting to feel like you may have actually learned too much of the language, then take some positive steps to put on some linguistic blinkers and help you bury your vocabulary-filled head in the sand. Our service uses a mouse-over function to help you understand unfamiliar words, but it also uses an intelligent AI algorithm to track when you stop using our app, therefore calculate how good you've gotten at comprehension, a metric we will use to help censor areas of the Japanese internet that you should probably avoid. For example, if you see the word kurobuta on a website and comprehend it, then great, enjoy your Berkshire pork. If, however, a website happens to have the word shirobuta, rest assured, you'll never see it. The app also functions contextually. Your Japanese language lessons or etiquette guides might start sentences with Nihon de wa, and that's fine. But when your YouTube replies start with that, we'll go ahead and get rid of them for you. Download today and get a free monthly trial of our new subscription service that blocks all incoming text messages from the first person you dated in Japan. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. Hello, I'm Oli Horn. And joining us this week is Marika Katanuma, Bloomberg journalist and former inter-high national-level junior ice skater. Marika, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We actually started following you during your ice skating career when you were the Tamagawa Josui River Cruise tourism ambassador. And I even remember the slogan, uh, because river cruises are basically just ice skating on melted ice in really large skates. It sounds better in Japanese. On this week's show, recent news has made it clear that while Japan's misogyny is casual, its consequences are serious. Marika will give us an update on the economic outlook for Japanese women. Spoiler alert, it's not good. Plus, Ali's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, this week's recommendation is the first river cruise in Japan that has introduced a perverts-only carriage. Also, I finally got a chance to visit Japan's only riverboat-themed love hotel room. I highly enjoyed the waterbed. I was not crazy about the old man in the pointy hat who sang the whole time. More on that later, but first, Soap Talk. <laughs> Brian, how was your week? You guys are dumb. Marika, thanks for joining us. Your beat, or at least one of your jobs for Bloomberg, is to report on gender inequality in Japan. Do you have the biggest workload of any journalist in the world? <laughs> you know, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to cover gender issues in Japan is that there's, these issues didn't get enough attention. But now everyone mm. is talking about it. So maybe I can... I was thinking to step... Um, take a step back a little while and let others to um, let others contribute to the discussion. Oh, it's gotten big enough now. It's gotten enough attention. Now there's enough people in the English-speaking news world that are covering all of these stories that you can kind of share the workload a little bit. <laughs> and I suppose this is because the stories are the ones which involve international events, right? You know, the latest one being the, the Mori story. Yeah, Tokyo Olympic president uh, Mori Kaicho had to eventually step down and resign because of some sexist comments that he made. Uh, the first one was just something about how women take too much time speaking in meetings. Meetings last forever because women talk during them. And 
he was forced to apologize for it almost immediately, and he did such a bad job apologizing. <laughs> he literally did make it worse, didn't he? Yeah. He, he then went, hmm, I wonder, if, I wonder if there's a way of further blaming women in my apology, and he managed to do an exemplary job. Well, he said, he said a bunch of things like, uh, well, a lot of people think this, I'm not the only one who thinks it, and you know, I, I'm only apologizing because other countries don't understand that this is the way it is in Japan. And that's an interesting angle, isn't it? That that this did cut through internationally, but still there was this idea that, well, the rest of the world is picking up on this story, but they just don't get it. Actually, my comments are salient vis-a-vis Japan. But that's just not true, is it, Marika? Yeah, and remember Mori also say that regarding female members at an organizing committee, uh, he said, which means they know their place. Yeah. And... That leads a fire on Twitter and this hashtag, that became hashtag. And that was the number um, the number one trending uh, topic on Twitter. And that also inspired on online events. Um, yeah, yeah, and where women from different um, different in- industries have joined and, and shared their um, experiences. And which generated 122,000 views on YouTube. So we we saw yeah. this move. We saw that uh, huge uh, movement on Twitter. Yeah, the hashtag I think was Wakimae Nai right. right? Like women who don't know their place, like women who refuse to be put in their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had a huge reaction on Twitter in in uh, other countries as well. I think there was some other Olympic kanke, some other woman who works in in a field related to the Olympics, who talked about, like, I can't wait to corner this guy in line at the Tokyo Olympic buffet. Little does she know, the Olympics is not happening. Even if they do, they'll probably cut the buffet. Um, <laughs> but but as Marnica said, it wasn't just kind of like the foreign uh, attention. There was also all of this social media reaction in Japan, right? And not only women, but men as well. Yeah, a few days after, um, there was... This kawaru otoko, <laughs> how do I translate this? Man who has the ability to make a change or who will change. Yeah, that was also trending. So Japanese men are trying to change, but one thing that they already definitely did change was who was the president of the Olympics. They replaced Mori Kaicho with Hashimoto Seiko, who actually is a former Olympian. She's a former ice skater, right, Marika? Yeah, speed skate. How did you feel as a skater yourself having uh, a former Olympic skater and a woman being put in this position? Yeah, it's really nice to see... Um, Someone who knows how to skate <laughs> on that position. <laughs> that was the worst thing about Mori, wasn't he? He was just <laughs> useless on the rink. Uh, although these trends relate to the world of work more generally, I do think the world sees Japanese politics as acutely behind. Because you see other countries, particularly European ones, with all-female cabinets and leadership teams. Yeah. Uh, and one of the recent stories I saw you talk about was the, the LDP story, about how some LDP politicians are almost looking to give Twitter things to get angry about. This was right after Mordecai Cho. This was literally a handful of days after <laughs> right? Mordecai Cho, and this was another LDP meeting where some LDP politicians got caught out in the news for saying that female members of the LDP were allowed to attend on the condition that they only did kengaku, that they were only there for observation and they didn't comment. Unbelievable. And one of, it got worse because one of the reasons that they said they didn't want women to comment, they implied that it was important that the women there first really fully understood the breadth of what they were listening to and what was being discussed before they commented. 
which is just awfully, awfully patronizing. Well, I do feel at this juncture, it's probably bad optics if I jump in with my opinion, so I'll just leave some space for Marika. How uh, terribly progressive of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Marika, what can possibly be done? I mean, are there any ideas floating around which can even attempt to, to solve this kind of sexism? So maybe it's a good timing to implement gender quotas widely, uh, mandating a minimum percentage of women in the position of power uh, currently, women make up only 10% in lower houses, and far, which is far from its 30% target. And also, according to Bloomberg data, the average ratio of female directors at a topic's companies is 7% in 2020, which is wow. just 1% up since the previous year. So this insignificant change suggests that the government needs to implement quotas targets. Yeah. Well, I mean, the goal for womenomics was what, like 30% by 2020? Yeah. <laughs> and they failed that horribly. I am full on in favor of instituting quotas for everything, even for this podcast. I think it should be 50% female. And uh, that's because I feel pretty good about my chances when one of us has to go. Uh, well, I also think it should be 50% funny as well. So we'll have to see. <laughs> well, we are going to be talking about gender inequality in Japan and specifically how economic policy seems to sideline women even in work. Uh, just before we jump into the news, a quick reminder that if you'd like to get in touch with us, if there's anything which we've said which you find objectionable, uh, or if you have any positive comments to leave, then please go to japanbyrivercruise.com and hit the facts button. We'd be glad to receive your correspondence. Bobby, shall we jump into the news? The Guardian reports, Japan's female minister for women's empowerment and gender equality, Marukawa Tamayo, opposes a plan to allow married women to keep their birth names. She argues Japanese husbands need their wives to take their last names because Quite frankly, they have very little else to contribute to the marriage. Our own JBRC Press Club correspondents have followed up. Yes, correspondent at Tokyo underscore lie looks at how this story is forcing Japanese women to rethink their position as to whether or not women in the LDP should be allowed to speak. And correspondent Stuart O. Twitt asks, isn't it hypocritical that Marukawa uses her own birth name and not her husband's? We should point out though that Marukawa is already on record as saying that she only uses her birth name to protect her family from any blowback she might incur by being terrible at her job. If you'd like to join the JBR Press Club, follow us at JBRC Pod on Twitter for next week's assignment. Marika, uh, you've done a lot of work reporting on gender inequality in Japan and how it affects women's financial situation here. And one of the articles that we followed from you uh, last year talked about how pre COVID employment numbers for women were actually up, but that might not be giving an accurate impression of their real situation. What can you tell us about that? So, so back in April and May, uh, 300,000 female workers left the workforce, and women accounted for about 70% of the total job losses. So the economic downturn has disproportionately affected women, and that was, and that was the first decline in the female employment numbers in the past eight years. Why does it disproportionately affect women? So we need to look at the type of jobs that they have. Uh, many work in part-time, um, which lacks job security, and also the sectors as well. Women are overrepresented, overly represented in the industry um, that are most affected by the pandemic, like retails and restaurants and tourism. And another is the gender imbalance in, in caregiving responsibilities at home, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty well known. 
Yeah. But um, the Japanese wives spend six times as many hours on household duties on their husbands. So when the schools are closed and many women had no choice but to stop working and look look after childcare and housework. So basically this shows kind of two structural reasons. It wasn't just that women stopped their jobs because of the pandemic or bosses decided to fire women first. It was women... At- are generally overrepresented in the kinds of jobs which are at the bottom rungs of the ladder, which are easier to get rid of, less secure contracts, and also women just have a greater burden of of housework to do. And I've noticed in a lot of your writing, you talk about these kind of general societal and structural issues as to why women might be held back. And sometimes they tell a story that society is shaped by policy and, and policy is also shaped by society. Could you share with us some of the ways in which women are unfairly affected by Japanese policies. Yeah, so initiating womenomics, so former Prime Minister Abe um, implemented policies that bring more women to the labor force, like expanding daycare capacity or introducing one of the most generous paternity leaves in the world. Mm. But at the same time, uh, he attached some antiquated tax and social security policies that that's essentially creating incentives for women to work less. So on one hand, encouraging more women um, to work more, but the other, um, they're kind of suggesting um, that it's financially smart to stay at home and take lower part-time jobs. I'm assuming that what you're talking about is the idea of women being fuyo on their husband's tax returns, which I always just assumed meant being a dependent. And I know that even in the U.S., where anyone can file as the dependent for a head of household. But how is this Japanese system where, where women are fuyo on their tax returns different from being dependent overseas? So um, we see that similar practice in, in the U.K. And as you said, the U.S. has some a joint tax return um, problems. Mm. But so in us in Japan is... Um, not an outsider, but this given this democratic uh, this demographic situation and um, the public pensions um, is not really looking great sustainability. Mm. The financial impact on those policies um, seems significant for Japanese women. I, I do want to mention here that fuyo is actually a, a homonym for another Japanese word, which is unnecessary. And I remember hearing this for the first time when my wife told me she was filing as my fuyo on on the the tax return. I was like, wow, Japan really is sexist. My wife is filing herself as unnecessary. (laughs) And so, uh, so what you're saying is that while there might be some policies which the headlines say, hey, look, we're doing things to support women. If you really dig deep on what this means on a kind of a practical decision making level for one individual family, it may be, I don't know, a policy such as the minimum wage increasing might seem like it's a good thing for women. Hey, there's more money in their pocket, but it might mean they end up just working less hours so they stay under a certain threshold so they get some some other family tax benefits, let's say. In addition, I noticed you wrote about the fact that Japan's public pension programs, maybe on the surface they seem like they create a level playing field, but there are some systematic reasons why women may ultimately lose out. Could you explain those? Well, along with the tax deduction, uh, one of the status of the public pension called the Category 3 status, um, and this works a similar way, 
So as long as the spouse's income is below 1.3 million yen, and she can still claim the pension benefit without paying into the system, and which seems reasonable for um, in the short term, but in the long term, it reduces the pension payout. Um, so those decisions are um, leading to the financial struggles in their old age. Right. Well, I want to make sure that we're aware that this doesn't only affect women. I mean, a large portion of women are, are affected by kind of these issues. There's a large portion of women right. who have kind of a grim financial future. But also, I want to make sure we point out that 100% of Bobby Judos residing in Japan also have a grim economic outlook. <laughs> okay, well, that's easily fixed. I can just plug the buy me a coffee at the, at the end of the show. Uh, but Marika, going back to these kind of systematic issues, I wonder whether they're not there kind of by design. This isn't an active policy, but rather a legacy of, of bad policies in the past. Why do these systematic inequalities exist? Um, the tax and social security policies have been around since the end of World War II, and these were designed before dual-income households outnumbered those with the full-time housewives, and which was meant to help Japan's economic growth. And as I said in the soap talk, women are currently extremely underrepresented in politics. Well, I think that's true. Um... We've seen this in terms of foreigners as well recently with the immigration policy during COVID when we talked to uh, Magdalena Osumi, one of her comments was about this idea that the policy wasn't intentionally discriminatory against foreigners. It's just that the Japanese people who were making the decisions forgot to take foreigners into account because foreigners' concerns yeah. are not their concerns. Or more specifically, they had a, a different conception of foreigners. Right. Their idea of foreign travel, she said, was, well, they go on holiday once a year. That's all they can imagine foreigners doing. And maybe the decision makers are from a generation where, well, the women's place is in the home. That's all they can imagine them doing. Maybe, I think you're right, Bobby. I think there are a lot of parallels. And I there. think we see that in terms of issues around the declining birth rate as well. Um, a lot of times we often hear comments from the government that seem like they blame women for the declining birth rate or they put the pressure on women to fix the declining birth rate. Um, I'm wondering, Marika, what do you think might be some of the underlying reasons for the birth rate decline, if there's social or cultural reasons that you think are contributing to this? So there are many factors, I think, but one of them is, um, one of them should be financial burdens mm. for young couples. So in Japan, um, much of the resources have been focused on um, taking care of its aging population. And the government hasn't paid much attention to its its youth. So, but recently we see, you know, there are some good signs. Uh, Prime Minister Suga, one of the um, one of his um, ambition is to boost the birth rate, mm -hmm. and he's already announced a series of new uh, policies, such as financial support programs for newly married couples. And he's also looking to expand um, insurance coverage for infertility treatment, mm. which currently costs more than 1 million yen, um, depending on the treatment options. In one sense, it kind of strikes me as funny that you've said traditionally they've spent more time and attention on the older generation and less on the youth. Because to me, that's kind of like saying, well, they've spent a lot of time on 90% of the population and not as much time on 10% of the population. Like the numbers add up there, but uh, but but at the same time, I I do see what you're saying. Um, 
they've made a lot of policy efforts in terms of trying to reduce that financial burden. One of them, uh, expanding the paternal leave for uh, fathers has been huge in the news. But in terms of how much that's actually being used, I think there's still this very much culturally accepted gender role where men work and women take care of the kids. And even in this kind of modern era where Japan is more reliant on two income households, where more and more couples are tomobataraki, there's still this idea that even if both parties are working, it's still solely the woman's responsibility to take care of the children. Do you think that ties into uh, how women suffered more job loss during the pandemic? Yes, and those culture aspects, um, women are supposed to stay at home and take care of the domestic and emotional labors in, in the family. Uh, these are built in a system which are given advantages for women who work in lower paid jobs. And experts that I've spoken to have learned it, uh, learned that it had a huge impact on the labor market as well, um, creating demand for entry-level jobs and that, that pay less than 1 million yen mm. a year and which lacks job security. And we saw that impact during the, during the pandemic. And we have this um, antiquated gender roles and norms and expectations toward women and also, um, only 10% of men, uh, they are taking advantage of uh, paternity leaves. Yeah, even though men could take advantage of the paternity leave, there's still this cultural expectation that it's women who are almost solely responsible for all of the childcare. Yeah, and I wonder whether this childcare point is a bit of a linchpin. Because when you compare Japan to other Asian countries, the more developed ones like Hong Kong or Singapore, Taiwan... You, I get the impression that the only reason the middle class survives is because the two household earners have support from a live-in domestic helper. And there's big industry of having people from the Philippines, people from Vietnam, uh, travelling to these wealthier countries and working as live-in domestic help. But I don't really get the impression there's much of a culture of having domestic help in Japanese households. Right. Um, there are housekeeping and babysitting services available. And, and the government is also promoting the idea but I think some women still feel the pressure from the society that they need to take care of their children by themselves. And so those cultures need to go away if we want to utilize that service. Yeah, there's a stigma against it. There's this sense that if you give your kids to somebody to take care of them instead of taking care of them yourself, you're a bad mom. You've abandoned them. And this is similar with the paternity leave. It's like the same thing. There are policies in place that could potentially help. But culturally, there's a stigma against taking advantage of those policies. Presumably, we're not just going to see the consequences now, but also in the future. Because if there's a generation of women who are working, but working on comparatively low wages and not able to save, there's a ticking time bomb, isn't there, of women in 40 years time who are not able to pay their way with a pension. So the poverty rate, um, the overall poverty rate for Japan is about 15%. And which is above the average of OECD nations. Mm. And the issue is that the Japanese government doesn't release poverty data by gender. But um, this professor, Aya Abe, she did a math and she did a math recently. And that revealed that 46% um, of single women 
over the age of 65 are facing poverty. Mm. Oh, so it's not even an issue for the future. It's an issue right now. It's funny to me that the people responsible for changing these antiquated policies are representatives of the government. And at the same time, you have representatives of the government in the news espousing antiquated ways of thinking. Mm. How much do you think we can count on, and, and this question is for everybody here, how much do you think we can count on this older generation that's still in positions of power right now to catch up with non-antiquated ways of thinking and implementing policy? Yeah, you're right. It's not just the case that we need people to be progressive, but we need this generation to firstly stop being regressive. Uh, and then once they've got to neutral, try and do something proactive for change. I, I don't know. I can't imagine the LDP doing an all-women shortlist. Can you? No, I think they, they might have done one for a potential prime minister replacement not too long ago when Suga's numbers were getting really, really low. Yeah. Marika, do you think there are enough people in our generation that that espouse these progressive views or... I don't know. My concern is that we might say, oh, these are just old fogies that think this. I'm worried that, you know, young and trendy people like me, who's in my mid-twenties professionally at least, uh, you know, still have, have these kind of regressive views. Sure. Um, right now, the discourse is dominated by the older generation. But in such a green society, giving younger people a voice in politics is important but people blame younger generation for the, their lack of interest in politics. But when I talk with younger generation here, they may not um, necessarily into politics, but they are aware of social issues such as gender equality or climate change and sustainability issues. So maybe what's missing is some sort of systems that identify those voices and, and apply them in policymaking decisions. But Oli, you might be right. Um, those views are clearly not shared universally. Um, I I found this uh, YouTuber who's really popular. She's a Shifu YouTuber, a housewife YouTuber, and she's basically and she has thousands of followers. And she basically shows you how to cook and clean and all sorts all sorts of uh, household household things wow. yeah well it's still this issue of like joshidoku the word joshidoku is used completely normally without any acknowledgement of the fact that it's a super sexist concept joshidoku means uh what does it mean joshi means women or girl and yoku means strength or power so you could translate it as girl power except that it gets applied specifically to how good you are at cleaning and cooking and doing your makeup and so it's the polar opposite not in a spice girl sense then or in a spice rack sense. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so it's still this very pervasive cultural mindset that that femininity is equated with um, with domesticity. And on top of that, I think I, I saw a survey result the other day in Japan where they'd asked men and women what they thought about gender equality. And they were showing kind of like the gap between generations and also the gap between genders. But the way they had phrased it was... Do you think gender equality has been or will be achieved or not? And that was your option. Like, like they grouped has been achieved and will be achieved into one option. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and still there was this gap with like a lot of men were like, yeah, I think it has been or, or will be achieved. And women were not as optimistic. So in terms of fixing this, uh, Marika, what do experts say needs to be done? to to fix this situation so and the policy wise experts have repeatedly say that 
these um, it is really crucial to to clean the playing field uh, by eliminating these policies that are fundamentally misleading and misguiding women into lower paid positions. Playing field leveling sounds like a job for a man. Jokes aside, how, how is the government looking to do this? Are they are they looking to just switch it up right away or are they phasing it out slowly? Um, so they are looking to um, revise the policy um, and for example for the pension systems by requiring more part-time markets to to contribute to the pensions, and and some reform, um, some experts says such reform is a small step forward, but the other says um, the government should uh, immediately abolish the policies. Ah, uh, good luck with that. One of my favorite quotes of all time about how change occurs in Japan is, um. Change in Japan occurs at a rate that only a geologist could appreciate. Which I suppose is good because we need them to study all the fossils that are still in power. Hey, thanks very much for listening to Japan by River Cruise episode 74. If you enjoyed the show, the only way that we can continue to make it is if you buy us a coffee. We're very grateful to our monthly members who not only uh, get the show early when we can, uh, but also get access to bonus bits. So if you're interested, then please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Japan by River Cruise and click the membership option. We're very grateful to everybody that has made the leap and done so so far. Thank you to our guest this week, Marika Katanuma. We very much enjoyed following your work on Bloomberg and we look forward to seeing more. Thank you and all the stories that we can access to the link on my profile on Twitter. Okay. Thank you, and we will see you next week.